Welcome to Bible Quest, the Wednesday edition. I am Joe Works in uh, Elmira, New York. Joining me today, as usual, uh, Chase Byers. How are you today, Chase? Doing good, Joe. Good to see you today. Good to see you. I assume you are in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania? Today, I'm actually in Harrisonburg, Virginia. No, I'm oh. just kidding. I'm, not, I'm in Harrisburg. <laughs> and uh, Jeff Smelser is joining us from Exton, Pennsylvania. Hi, Jeff. Uh, uh, hi. Good afternoon. But I don't see you guys. I see frozen screens. In- yeah, I think Jeff must be having some tef- uh, technical difficulties. Um, uh, it looks like his screen is frozen on mine as well, but I'm seeing Chase move, so I think it might be yours, Jeff. Um, although I'm a, uh, a novici at these things, so I, I'm not sure. Um, so today we are going to move so I think at Psalm 119, if you're joining us and would like to uh, open your Bibles there. We're going to take a look at this very interesting uh, psalm uh, on several levels. Um, uh, it is a, a fascinating uh, psalm. Um, so as we go through this, Chase, do you have a thought? Uh, I'm not sure if, if Jeff is with us or not. Um, your screen still appears to be frozen to me, but I'm not sure. Can you I think th- that's? I think that's all on you, Joe. I, I can see him moving just fine. So, oh, okay. can you hear me, Chase? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, my screen is frozen for me, and um, the problem is that it's going to require me to shut it down to get it to unfreeze. It's just locked up, and if I shut it down, knock you guys out. So go ahead, and I'll log in with another device. Okay. All right. Uh, Drew may have had a clue there if you had pinned at your uh, screen. Uh, so, uh, well, looking at Psalm 119, Maybe one of the first things that stands out to us is that uh, the, the length of the psalm. It's, uh, it's what I, from what I know, it's the longest psalm that there is of the 150. This is the longest one, and it's really one of the longer sections of the, of the Old Testament. Right, right. I, I think word count, there are uh, other chapters that are longer, um, uh, but uh, uh, as far as the, the psalms especially, it's by far. The, the the largest psalm, um, 176 verses, really, I mean, that's kind of overwhelming to think about uh, that being one, uh, one message. Um, and uh, so why, why 176? Is that just a random number or uh, any of our uh, mathematicians, uh, they try to figure out that question? especially if your Bible has subtitles. Uh, if you're noticing in Psalm 119, like mine does, it has a Hebrew word at the beginning of verse 1, a Hebrew word that I will mispronounce, aleph, leaf. I'm not sure. Um, and then at verse 9, it has the Hebrew uh, letter Beth, uh, the second letter of the alphabet, and on and on. So you have aleph. Beth, Gimel, uh, and I'll just stop at ABG, as we've talked about a a kind of a a title for this lesson. Um, Why do do we have those uh, Hebrew letters at the beginning? What's the significance behind that? Yeah, that's a a good question. It was a uh, literary device. Um, You see it used here in Psalm 119. You see it used in the Book of Lamentations as well. And uh, Joe might have some more to say about that later. 
But I mean, just like today with the different English literary devices we have, they're really meant for memorization and to help us remember things. And so if you can remember the alphabet in order, then if you can remember what the first word of these psalms or what these section of psalms are, we'll have a better time remembering the psalm as a whole. I mean, I think back to different times in Bible classes or even in college where I've had to memorize whole scripts of things. And, you know, we sometimes come up with a song, we come up with ways it can rhyme so that we can remember those things better. What, how, how cool is it that that's what they're doing, the psalmist is doing with Psalm 119? He's trying to make it to where people can remember it easier and to I take mean, it with them. How many times have you heard a preacher present a sermon and he has five points and they all begin with P? Right, yeah, alliteration is what, is what we call that in, in the English um, as far as a literary device goes. It's, yeah. it's everything starting with the same letter. Um, Stephen Rouse, he just did a sermon for us, or sorry, um, a Bible class for us on prayer, and he made what is called an, uh, an acronym, uh, PRAY, and it was uh, PRAISE, um, R, now I'm on the spot, Oh, no, it was Axe. Sorry, it was, it was the acronym Axe. My bad. Man, I hope he's not listening. But it was in prayer, adoration, C is confession, T is thanksgiving, and S is supplication. And so I was able to remember that because of that helpful acronym. And so there are several different devices that we use like that, even in Hebrew. Excellent. Uh, I, I like the acronym SPIT better, uh, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings. Um, uh, but uh, uh, his is probably uh, a little bit easier to uh, to teach publicly. Um, yeah, and I, I can so, yeah, share my screen here. It's a device like to. that. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah, go ahead and do that. Yeah, so you, you can kind of see here the different letters. I'm not a Hebrew guy. I'm a Greek worm, very, very small Greek worm. So I would have recognized if these were Greek letters, but these, these are Hebrew letters. And of course, that's Aleph. And you can see how similar they are all the way down into verse 8, which is what we're going to read in just a second. And then you've got Beth. See the similarity between all those all the way down into verse 16. Verse 17, you've got the, the Gimel or the G, and it goes all the way down into verse 24. And so it goes so on and so forth. So that's a helpful um, thing to see even in the Hebrew. Yeah, so especially if you uh, were reading Hebrew, uh, then this would be a great device. So every eight verses, each phrase begins with that, uh, that letter from uh, the Hebrew alphabet. So it is, it, it's quite the poem. I mean, to, to be able to, to, to write this kind of, of poetry, uh, a number of people can write bad Bible poetry, but this is really good Bible poetry. Um, and, uh, and not, so not only do you have that, but you also have a beautiful message contained in the Psalm. So, you know, sometimes people might try really hard to make things rhyme or make things into an a, a alliteration or whatever, and they kind of twist it or it doesn't quite have a flow to it. It doesn't make sense. One of the great things about Psalm 176 is, uh, that it's got a one continuous overriding message to it um, uh, that the, the psalmist uses. Um, and I'll just mention, I think that David wrote this. I think in most of our Bibles, it doesn't give a heading for who the author is. It's my suspicion that David is the author there. Feel free to argue that. I'd be really interested to hear reasons that it wouldn't be. Um, 
uh, about the only place that I ever saw that it wasn't David were people that were pretty much denying it as inspiration. Uh, and it seems to really have a, a great basis off of Psalm 19. Um, uh, psalm 19, especially the, the latter part of that psalm, if you think about Psalm 19 and in verse 7, it says, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. So in those three verses, Psalm, uh, Psalm 19, 7 through 9, you have the words law, testimony, statutes, commandment, and judgments. Five different words, synonymous words, um, uh, that are used referring to, to God's word. And Psalm 119 sort of picks up that same kind of theme, uh, but adds actually three more. Uh, and so you have, in addition to the eight-verse sections by poetry, you also have eight different words, eight, eight different Hebrew words that are used to uh, describe God's word. Um, can I see those quickly enough? Uh, in, like in Psalm 119, you have the word law in verse 1, testimonies in verse 2, precepts in verse 4, statutes in verse 5, commandments in verse 6, uh, judgments in verse 7, uh, how many is that now? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, uh, word in verse 9, um, uh, what's the other one that I'm leaving out? Commandments. Did you already get commandments? I, yeah. I think I did, uh, uh, did commandments in six, or at least I meant to. Um, precepts. You already uh, got precepts. Yeah. I, I should have marked them all before I started there. Um, uh, and, and one of the difficult things, in fact, even in our English Bibles, uh, because these are really synonymous words, our English Bibles sometimes don't even follow the Hebrew in that. Uh, I noticed that in a study earlier, um, and so sometimes these words are used interchangeably uh, with, with different Hebrew words. Um, uh, but especially if you would follow back to the, to the Hebrew, you would see that there are eight different Hebrew words that are used. So that eight sort of seems to be a, a theme for the book, eight verses, each uh, Hebrew letter, and also uh, these eight different words to describe God's word. I'll pause there. It's just, it's, it's a fascinating uh, psalm, I think. So uh, you guys got something you want to throw in there first? No, I, th I think it's cool that, that I'm still, I'm so thankful to God that there are Hebrew scholars out there who kind of preserve this knowledge for us. Because if, if you didn't research Psalm 119, you would never know. Like for me, you go through some of the other psalms and it'll have like what, what are probably choir marks, like C and, and uh, I can't think of some of the others off the top of my head, but there are these random words here and there. Uh -huh. And then you get to this one and you're like, Beth, Beth Gimel, <laughs> that's not A, B, C, D, E, F, G. So it's like, you get a Z somewhere in there pretty early on in the alphabet. You would have no way of knowing that this is going through the Hebrew alphabet. And so I'm thankful that we have resources that, that continue teaching us that so that we can observe it now. Exactly. Jeff, you got a thought? Well, it's just an interesting little thing I noticed. That as uh, famous as this psalm is, as long as this psalm is, as perfectly constructed as this psalm is, a lot of acrostic psalms, this is the only one that is perfectly done, if I remember correctly. 
uh, some of the acrostic psalms will, you know, maybe leave out a letter or two or something like that. But um, it's not quoted in the New Testament. Uh, that was going to be my next question. Okay, what's the question? Well, no, I was just going to ask you guys if you all were familiar with any references that the New Testament had to Psalm 119. I was just trying There's to think through it. Interesting allusion. Look at Psalm 119, 137. In Psalm 119, 137, it says, um, I'm sorry, Revelation, yeah, Psalm 119, 137. It says, Righteous art thou, O Lord, and upright are thy judgments. In Revelation 16, verse 5, I heard the angel of the water saying, Righteous art thou, who art and who wast thou, Holy One. And then in verse 7, I heard the altar saying, Yea, O Lord, the Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. So you have the righteous art thou, and righteous or upright are thy judgments in close proximity there in Revelation 16. So it could be that that language is being borrowed from Psalm 119, but there's no really quotations from Psalm 119. There is the statement, I'm not ashamed, which Paul uses in Romans 116, in which we'll also see in um, Psalm 119, verse 46, but I'm not sure, you know, you could have two different people saying, I'm not ashamed in totally different contexts and one not being conscious of the other. Um, so, but it's just interesting, this, this long Psalm and yet not quoted in the New Testament. We do have, we, we do recognize some of the significance of it uh, in some of our songs uh, that we sing. Uh, Psalm 119, yeah. 105, for example, uh, your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. I'm not going to sing the song, uh, but it's in our song. It's in some of our songbooks. Um, and so uh, we, we do find references to it that maybe we are familiar with in worship. Um, uh, but, uh, but yeah, I, I'm not aware of any direct quotation in uh, the, the New Testament of this. Um, well, uh, there is one, guys, that, that comes to my mind. In Psalm 119, in verse 139, my zeal has consumed me because my adversaries have forgotten your words. Um, in John, the second chapter, when Jesus goes in to cleanse the temple, uh, temple, it'll say that his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. But... <laughs> You might want to look at Psalm 69 for that one. Which Psalm 69 is certainly, yeah, yeah, you're right. Psalm 69 is the, is the better application. Yeah, so. Uh, yeah, you're right. And, and that's in a messianic text, Psalm 69. And verse yeah, there, there's stuff all over the place. Yeah, it's Psalm 69, verse 9. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but that, that, that was jumping off the page at me. My zeal has consumed me because my adversaries which, have forgotten your words. But I think there's a good point to make from that, that you have some similarities in this psalm with passages like John 2 and Psalm 69 and Psalm 19 and Psalm 1, I would even suggest, uh, has some similarities. In fact, some people have suggested that in some ways, Psalm 1 and 119 serve as a set of bookends in the book of Psalms. Uh, I don't know how far to press that. I'm certainly not scholarly enough uh, to, uh, to, to delve, into, delve into that. But uh, especially thinking about if David is the author of Psalm 119, and I'm basing that on circumstantial evidence, the similarities to it with Psalm, one, uh, with Psalm 19, 
but also just as you mentioned in Psalm 69, that's a Psalm of David. And I believe that even in the Messianic Psalms, we find a fulfillment of those Psalms in the author themselves. And so Psalm 69, David is writing this about his circumstances, but ultimately it is perfectly fulfilled in Christ. Maybe y'all don't agree with that, and that's that's fine. Uh, we could debate that some if we would like. Uh, but but I see a double fulfillment in Psalms, like a lot of the other prophecies that we have about Solomon and others. And if that's the case, then looking at Psalm one nineteen, I think one of the benefits would be to step back and think about this psalm in David's life. Uh, hopefully I didn't muddy that too much, but I think that as we read through Psalm 119, and we're not going to read the whole thing by any measure, um, but I think that if you just like stop and contemplate these eight verse sections and then maybe just just wander amongst yourselves or, or through the scriptures, First uh, and Second Samuel especially, I wonder what was wonder what David had in mind when he wrote this section. That's what I'm trying to do. I guess that's what I should say. Um, well put. There is a, a lot of value to, to, to recognizing this. If it is from David, um, the, the things that he is enduring, both good and bad, perhaps at different times through this psalm. Any thoughts there? So how about Go ahead and read verses 1 through 8. So one of you all want to read that? How blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. How blessed are those who observe his testimonies, who seek him with all their heart. They also do no unrighteousness. They walk in his ways. Thou hast ordained thy precepts that we should keep them diligently. Oh, that my ways may be established to keep thy statutes. Then I shall not be ashamed when I look upon all thy commandments. I shall give thanks to thee with uprightness of heart when I learn thy righteous judgments. I shall keep thy statutes. Do not forsake me utterly. Thank you. So the blessed are the undefiled in the way, that again, that sounds very similar to the first psalm. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel and the godly, the path is, stands in the path of sinners, sits in the seat of the scornful. Uh, and so you have that, that thought of, of being uh, walking undefiled uh, in, uh, in, in the way. Um, and that's synonymous with walking in the way of, in the, uh, walking in the law of the Lord, uh, verse one as well. One of the things that I would note there in the, I, I guess uh, maybe I should have said this even before we started reading, um, is with all of these words, that are used like law and testimony and precepts and statutes, I would suggest that the only reason that those are significant or that they ought to be significant, it's not that law has great significance or testimony does or precepts or statutes or commandments or judgments. I think it's the, usually in, in, in my translation, at least usually it's a, it's a pronoun Uh, like in verse two, blessed are those who keep, his testimonies, uh, your precepts, verse four, your statutes, your commandments, your righteous judgments, your statutes, uh, reading down through four through eight, uh, or verse one, uh, who walk in the law of the Lord. What makes God's word significant 
is because it belongs to God, because it came from God. Um, I was talking with uh, Carl Ballard earlier today about this psalm, and uh, one of the things that we noted was that there may even be somewhat of a tendency or a danger of almost or maybe actually worshiping the Bible as opposed to the God of the Bible. Um, That may come across in the form of legalism, or it may also uh, come across in the the sense of uh, just being too focused on following the details without thinking about why we're doing them. I I mean, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, Joe. I mean, uh, we have a very prime example of that. I mean, it's the Pharisees. Jesus was constantly butting heads with the Pharisees because of this very problem. He was God in the flesh. God was there talking to them, instructing them, proving that he was God. And yet they're still hung up on Torah. They're still saying, no, Torah. And they're not recognizing Jesus as God. (laughs) So, I mean, yeah, I think you're exactly right. I think we, we even do that now sometimes. We worship law rather than worship God. And Paul talks about what, it, what it's going to get you if you worship law and try to attain perfectly to the law in Romans 7. Oh, wretched man that I am, um, who will save me from this body of death? So maybe one of the ways that we can avoid that, I guess it's maybe a two-part uh, comment if I can remember the second one I get to it. Uh, two ways to avoid that danger would be to remember the action that is involved here. Um, you know, you have the idea of walking in the law, keeping the, the testimonies, seeking him, uh, verse three, walking, uh, four, keeping uh, diligently, uh, directed at verse five, just, just kind of going through looking at the, the action uh, verse seven, I will praise you. Um, and so, our relationship with with God is not a relationship of philosophy or theory. It's one of practice. And the psalmist here is going to emphasize from beginning to end that his, his emphasis on the word is because it's God's word and he's going to do something about that. His life is going to be different because of the word that God has revealed. You know, when we go to learn, whenever we come to Scripture, if we really are struggling with this worshiping the, the, the Word rather than worshiping the Creator, I think a helpful thing is when I come to God's Word, I am coming to it so I can learn more about the God who created me. Everything I read, everything I look at, it's going to teach me more about the character of God and His Son, Jesus. And a natural byproduct of learning about God is wanting to be more like God, be like him in the, in the different ways that the psalmist describes him here in verses 1 through 8, nearly the whole psalm. And so it's going to be a natural byproduct. If we're learning from Scripture about God, we're naturally going to want to be like him. So the corrections we need to make in our life um, in order to be more like God are going to come. But it all starts with coming to the Word so that I can learn about God. Yeah. Joe, we got a question here in the, in the Zoom box. What exactly is legalism, and uh, what way is loving the Bible too much wrong? I guess they're asking for clarification, maybe. 
Yeah, uh, so the, I, I don't know that we have a Bible definition of that, and people may define that in different ways. Um, but maybe just being so focused on what the words are and not paying attention to it, am I serving God behind that? Uh, and so uh, I said earlier that I had sort of a two-part uh, thought in that. And so you have the action that's required, but then you have uh, the heart that is required with that as well. Notice, for example, in verse 2 of Psalm 119, blessed are those who keep his, his testimonies, who seek him with a whole heart. And then in verse 10 of, uh, well, all these are going to be in Psalm 119, verse 10, with my whole heart, I have sought you. Uh, verse 34, uh, give me understanding and I shall keep your law. Indeed, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Verse 58, I entreated your favor with my whole heart. Uh, 69, the proud have forged lie against me, but I will keep your precepts with my whole heart. Uh, verse uh, 145, I think, is the last one that has the, the whole heart idea. I cry out with my whole heart, hear me, O Lord. And so there are some people who go through their, their religious life, and they're hung up on doing things the right way, which is great, but they're not doing it for the right reason. It is extremely possible to do the right things for the wrong reason. To me, that, 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 that's some of what legalism is. It's, uh, that's the way that I'm using it, at least. Hey, you know, we got a helpful comment on Facebook from um, German Ortiz. The verb or word became flesh. And I, I think that's a helpful kind of distinction to make. It's not the, the verb that became flesh. It's the word. The, the word of God became flesh. And it's funny when you think about the Pharisees, the very word that they worshiped, became flesh, and they still denied him. And that is where you see legalism. They have dedicated themselves to the verb rather than the word. So yeah. I appreciate that comment. Thank you. That, that was helpful. Yeah, thanks, Aaron. Uh, excellent. Uh, so uh, those, are the, those are some of the verses that use the phrase whole heart. There's a number of other verses in Psalm 119, I'm not going to list them all, that, that reference the heart. Uh, and so in our service to God, uh, and, and maybe let me be clear, especially based on that question earlier, um, we need to make sure that we, we're not dismissing the word. Uh, I'm not at all suggesting that God's word, God's laws, God's commandments are, are insignificant. What I'm saying is that they won't be effective for us if we're only keeping them in and of themselves. You know, our target isn't to know the Bible. Our target is to know God through the Bible. Uh, and so uh, I guess that, that's some of what I would suggest is, uh, is a danger of, of legalism, um, just seeking to do the right thing. Maybe think about the, the church in, uh, in Ephesus. Uh, you know, man, they, they were right on, right on target about the things that they were doing, Right. I uh, won't be able to quote that. So let me just flip over here really quick to read that passage. In uh, Revelation 2, he says, I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil. You've tested those who say they are apostles or not, have found them liars. You've persevered and have patience, have labored for my namesake, and have not become weary. Man, 
if there was ever a church that we would look at and say, that is a faithful group, uh, we used to hear the phrase, that's a sound congregation. Uh, but they were a dark congregation. Their light wasn't shining. Uh, they had lost their first love in verse 4. So while they were doing a lot of great things, even hating the deeds of the Nicolaitans, um, what, they weren't doing it for the right reason. And, and so to me, that's a form of legalism where you're following the legal aspects, but you're not doing it because of your love for the Lord. You're not doing it with your whole heart. Right. Is it is an interesting <clears throat> relationship between, I th- think you made the point a moment ago, Joe, um, people can get hung up on the law and forget that the goal of the law is to bring us to God. I, that's not exactly how you said it, but that's essentially what you were saying, right? You, you said it better. Thank you. Well, there's a relationship between, there's an intimacy between God and God's law that sometimes people overlook when they get the idea that they're not, they're not really all that keen about studying the Bible. They just want to know God. Uh, they're not all that keen about what he has said. They just want to know, know God. Um, there's another Psalm that I, I like, Psalm 19. You mentioned it earlier, and it talks about the law of the Lord. What's interesting in that Psalm is the first six verses talk about God's revelation in his creation. You can be awed by what every man can see, and you can be aware there's a God. As he says in Psalm 19, verse 1, the heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. But it refers to God as God, which is a generic term, deity. And there were various gods that people believed in. You wouldn't have any idea who this God is, and just as you wouldn't have any idea who the God is by looking at what he's made in nature, all you can see is somebody is out there. But it's in verse 7 where he starts referring to God by his name, Yahweh, which in our translations is rendered Lord, but in all caps. And that's when he starts talking about the law of the Lord. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simpler. We could say the law of Yahweh, the testimony of Yahweh. So you look at what God has made and you're awed. There's some power out there that we can call God. Who is he? You don't know. What does he want? You don't know. You don't know him. But it's when you start talking about what he said, his law, his testimony, that you come to know him personally, as people like talk about a personal relationship with God, you come to know who he is. Great. I, I love how you said that. Thanks. That's a really helpful and, and another good tie to the Psalm yeah. 19. It uh, helps us to, to maybe even see just from the, uh, another uh, connection, 19 and 119, uh, some of those uh, similarities are good. Wow, and isn't it amazing? The more you dig into God's word, the more you realize just how good it is for you. you know, I know plenty of people, myself included, where I've spent a period of my life saying, no Bible, no Bible, no Bible. And when you commit to it and you start reading it, you, you're like, wow. This is exactly what I needed in my life. This is good for me. I am thankful for the direction that I now have. And there is a beauty in submission to God. People don't always realize it, but I think we all want somebody to tell us what to do. Life is hard to navigate through. We don't always know what to do in certain situations, but to have a God that gives us the direction we need is a comforting thing. Becoming a Christian, you're surrendering, giving it all over to the Lord, and the more you dig into his word, You'll say, I shall not be ashamed when I look upon all your commandments. I'm going to give thanks to you 
with uprightness of heart when I learn your righteous judgments. I shall keep your statutes. Do not forsake me utterly. God, your word is giving me everything I need, and I'm overwhelmed by it, is what I think the psalmist is saying, just because God takes care of them so well. Great. Yeah, exactly. And so in these first eight verses, I think it's neat how you sort of see this, uh, this cycle or, or circle. I'm not sure uh, what the best word would be. But it seems like early on in the first couple of verses, the emphasis is on if I am keeping God's word, that's going to, to help me, you know, blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Walking in the law of the Lord is going to help me be undefiled in the way. Uh, I don't think anybody would argue with that. But then notice how he says it in verse 5. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep your statutes. I think one of the things that we have to recognize is that if we, that studying God's word can help us follow after him, but also making the decision to follow after him will help us in understanding his word and to, to keep it. I have to make that decision. I am going to follow his way. And then when I, when I make that decision, then I can keep his statutes. Yeah. We got a couple good comments from Lori Biesecker on the Facebook feed. Um, she says, our wanting to know God without paying attention to what he says uh, in our human relationships, we understand easily that the ideas uh, like that don't work. For instance, she says, if my husband tells me he loves me and wants to be close to me, but he never listens to what is in my heart and mind through my speech, I will count his declarations of love to be very shallow. You know, it it's makes sense. We understand it in human relationships is what Lori is saying, that if we want to be close to somebody and say that we love them, we have to listen to them. We have to listen to what they want and what they say. Why wouldn't that be true of God as well? Um, and then she says on his part, he make, uh, I think she's continuing about her husband. He may think he loves me and knows me, but again, his understanding of who I really am is at best shallow and worse completely wrong if the, he doesn't listen to her. Uh, yeah. Um, Jacqueline Campbell has a question. Uh, present day applica uh, application. How do you deal with someone either in your family or your local congregation that is just going through the motions, as you've mentioned, and their heart isn't truly sincere? Granted, we can read someone's mind. Uh, we can't read someone's mind, but we see their actions and their words. So I think two, twofold. One would be trying to make sure that they are really paying attention to God's word uh, as best you can to encourage that, um, but also making, trying to encourage study for an individual's sake. I think one of the things that has helped me at different times to avoid legalism or to step back away from that, what I'm defining as legalism today here, um, is studying for my own sake, uh, not studying for a class, not studying for a doctrine, not studying for an argument, but studying for my own soul's sake. You know, what you do go. I need to, to listen to? I think that's one of the things that will help. That, that That's either going to soften or harden a, a heart. Um, it would be trying to just encouraging study for, for soul's sake. And the Psalms are maybe as good as any place else to do that. Yes. And, and there's, there are so many mistakes about coming to scripture for, for any other reason than I want to learn about God and what I can do to please him. Um, I think you're right, Joe. I think sometimes, especially um, maybe people who, who are 
with their faith and what they see in scripture are at odds with the majority of the world. It can be really tempting when you come into Bible study. Oh, I'm reading this, but I'm reading it so I can find a way to prove someone wrong mm. rather than reading it to learn more about God and to learn more about what he wants from me. And uh, I think if we just come at Bible study with that lens, I'm here to learn about God. We'll get out of it what it's trying to get us to get. Jeff, you got an answer to that question as well? Read the first part of the question again, Chase. Uh, how do you deal with someone either in your family or local church that is just going through the motions, as you've mentioned, and their heart isn't truly sincere? So uh, focusing on the part about how do you deal with somebody, um, I think that probably we've all um, been able to think of, of people that we, we believe were just going through the motions probably many of us can say it, at times in our own lives, we were just going through the motions. <clears throat> Let's think about, <clears throat> think about that just for a second. If I was ever just going through the motions, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, there's the expression, uh, do it until you make it, or how's that expression go? Fake it until you make it. Fake it till you make it. Okay. Um, I, I kind of, I'm not, not fond of saying fake it here, but the idea is sometimes doing is a step toward uh, internalizing. You have to get to internalizing, but better to be doing while you're getting there than not doing at all. And if we can look at our own selves and say, okay, there've been times when maybe I was just doing it because it was, I was supposed to, and my heart wasn't in it so much. Um, and yet I was doing it because I was supposed to and trying to get there. Uh, then maybe we can look at other people and say, it looks like he's just going through the motions. And, and maybe there's even evidence of that. Maybe you can see the priorities aren't there that should be there. The choices aren't there that should be there. Um, and so you say there's a real lack of commitment. But to some degree, that's a subjective uh, thing to discern. And I think one of the things that we have to do is to realize as Samuel said, when, or as the Lord said to Samuel, don't look on the outside, look on the heart. And God is the one who looks on the heart and we can't see the heart as God can. And so some of the part, I think part of the answer is if they're going through the motions, a, you, you can give somebody the benefit of the doubt and suppose that maybe there's more in the heart that I, than that, than that, which I see and so, but if I suspect or if I'm concerned that all it is is just going through the motions, what can I do to help this person uh, grow to be more than just superficial? And maybe let's, let's take the, the, the discussion that way a little bit. What can I do to help somebody? I don't want to be judgmental. I don't want to just assume that they're just going through the motions and there's no heart in it. But if that looks like that may be the case, what can I do to help this person become more than just a superficial follower of the Lord. Excellent. Um, so, well, let, let me throw out a suggestion. One thing that I can do is to talk with this person about spiritual things. You know, when I'm, when I'm with this person, rather than talking about superficial things, talk about spiritual things. Sometimes um, people just need an opportunity to open up and talk about spiritual things. Sometimes if you're not accustomed to talk about spiritual things, it's, it's not an easy thing to do. So maybe I start, if I want to help this person become more than superficially a follower of the Lord, 
let me uh, talk about spiritual things with that person. And, and maybe even in the process of that, open up about some of my own spiritual weaknesses, difficulties, struggles, temptations. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think one of the things that is helpful is if we don't, if we stop trying to fix other people and instead use the opportunities to try to uh, let's work on ourselves, plural, myself included, you know, um, because I need it just as much. Um, uh, almost the idea of, of Galatians 6, of when you see someone uh, struggling, uh, how are we going to deal with them? If any man is overtaken in trespass, you are spiritual. Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. I need to think about my own circumstances in that and, and not come at them as if I'm going to fix you. Um, but, but why don't we try to draw closer to God together and, and don't be, don't, don't be insincere about that. Um, now, now Jesus of course dealt with people who were just superficially religious. Um, and of course we're talking about the Pharisees and he could be rather pointed in his dealings with them. Um, there are various occasions though, when it, you know, the text will sell it, tell us Jesus knowing what was in his heart, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, now in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells us by their fruits, you shall know them. So I, I'm not, I'm not wanting to say it's impossible to draw an accurate conclusion mm-hmm. in some cases, some cases people make it quite manifest. They are not inwardly interested in spiritual things. They're going through the motions. Um, Maybe, maybe in a case like that, do we look to Jesus' example uh, sometimes? We have to keep in mind, we're not Jesus. We don't have the ability to see the heart that he did. What do you think about that? Uh, excellent. I think we have to be very cautious about that whole thing. I think with, with anything you, you're, you want to help your brother or sister in Christ with, it's, it's always good to start where they're at and even share with them maybe some, some struggles you've had with, with something similar. I dare say there was anybody ever who, who's a child of God who didn't for some period of time struggle with going through the motion. Maybe it was maybe just one, one Sunday out of your whole life. I don't know. But I think all of us have struggled with that. All of us have tried to deal with that in a godly way and come out on the other side. And so for that brother or sister, you can just level with them and say, hey, this is something that I struggled with for a while in my life. Is that something you're struggling with right now? Maybe I'm reading into it. And if I am, I'm really sorry. But if not, I think I have some things that might be able to help you get out of this rut of just going through the motions. And so honesty is the best policy, obviously. Just go and tell them. I, I think this is something you're struggling with. If not, I'm sorry, and we'll move on. And another thing that might be helpful would be to uh, and, and I'll go through some of those motions with them, you know, uh, but, but show by your own actions how those motions need to be uh, from a motive of love. And so look for opportunities to perform acts of love. Uh, Go serve other people. Invite that person to go with you to serve other people. Um, Help them to see how that looks in practice, not just sitting in a pew. Amen. Well, we've just got a couple more minutes here, but I do want to take a look at verse 6. He says, then I would not be ashamed when I look into all of your commandments. That verse is 
powerful. Uh, you know, when, when a person is caught up in sin, one of the last things they want to do is start reading their Bibles. And I think this would be a good place to, to challenge yourself, myself, everybody ought to do that ourselves. Uh, if, if I'm not wanting to study, is it because there's something that I'm ashamed of? Is there something that I'm doing that I know I ought not to be doing? And when I hold up the mirror, uh, it's going to, to condemn me. It's going to show that flaw. But keeping his commandments, so keeping his statutes, being directed in his ways is going to keep me from being ashamed. I have no reason to be ashamed if I am serving the Lord. And then I can freely and joyfully come back to his word. And then when I do that, verse 7, what that produces is praise. I, I, I turn to praise God with my whole heart, with this uprightness of heart, when I understand better what his judgments are, what his words are. Any other thoughts there, guys? No, thank, thank you for going through this with us today, Joe. I think this was very timely and very helpful. I appreciate it. We have, uh, did we get this one more question we had here real quickly here? Oh, we're out of time, aren't we? Okay. Well, maybe we can look at that another time. I, I haven't seen them yet, so I'll uh, uh, try to take a look at that. But do very much appreciate the comments and questions. It's very helpful for us uh, as we're trying to understand uh, the word of the Lord better ourselves. Uh, God bless you all, and uh, we'll look forward to joining you again next Wednesday, Lord willing. Thank you.